Throughout my life, there have been many times in which I've uh, looked in the mirror and I thought to myself, I would never do that. And then a day or a week or a month or a year or several years later, I have to go right back to this same mirror and I have to remind myself that I have deceived myself. In high school, I was the poster child for the perfect pastor kid. I was a preacher kid growing up, and uh, I made good choices. I made good grades. I was a three-sport athlete. I had it together. I went to church three times a week, and I was a good kid. And I remember so many times looking at some of my friends who were making other choices and kind of like in a judgmental spirit, I would think to myself, I would never do that. And then college came. And from the first weekend of college until my senior year, my life got all jacked up. You see, I thought I was big man on campus. And really what I had become was the biggest spiritual fake on campus. I came to uh, all the church activities. I came across to everyone like I was really, really spiritual. I went to chapel every Thursday at 10 a.m., I usually sat in the back to try to look at the ladies because I was the big man on campus. I went to church almost every single Sunday if I wasn't hung over from the night before. And I actually learned that the latest church service in North Manchester, Indiana, was at a Catholic church at noon. And I would get out of my stupor from the night before and I would just kind of walk in and I wasn't Catholic. I didn't know anything about being Catholic, but I would stand and sit and stand and sit and do a liturgy, but at least I was there. I remember going to all different kinds of Bible studies during the week. And then on the weekends, I would be drinking and drugging and carousing with a whole different crowd of people. And then finally my senior year, I had to finally look in the mirror and no longer was I the perfect Christian follower, but I had become the poster child for Hypocrites Anonymous. I mean, from the outside, folks, it looked like I had it all together. But on the inside, in my inner world, I was all jacked up. And what I thought I would never become was exactly what I had become. And sometimes I look into the mirror 
And I'm amazed at how much I can deceive myself. Have you ever been there before? Have you ever looked in the mirror and you were just a little deceived? Maybe you looked in the mirror and you said, I will never do that. I would never say that. I would never live my life like that. And then you find yourself breaking your never. I mean, one thing is true about all human beings that we're experts at. We know how to break our nevers. We do. Have you ever said the word never before? You looked in the mirror, you said, I would never, and then all of a sudden it came back to bite you? I told my parents that I would, I would never lie to them. And then you lie once, and then you lie a second time, and pretty soon the third time's a lot easier to lie, and pretty soon you're just lying all over the place. Maybe for some of you, you said, I will never have sex before I get married. And then on some night when you felt so passion-filled, you broke that promise and you woke up and you looked in the mirror that morning and you broke your never. And for some of you, your sexual part of your identity has never been healed back. It's all jacked up. Or maybe some of you said, I would never go into debt. And everyone from the outside is like, oh, they have a nice house, they have a car, everything's good. But you know, you know, you're hardly able to pay the bills and bankruptcy is looming down upon you. Or maybe you said, I will never walk away from my marriage. And then all of a sudden, something happened within your marriage. Circumstances took place. And before you knew it, you'd filed for divorce. Or maybe you said, I would never yell at my kids. You go to the grocery store, you see that one parent yelling at their kids, and you go home, you're like, I'll never do that. And now, if truth were known, in some of your houses, yelling happens to your kids, and you see them decreasing more and more all the time. Or maybe some of you said, I will never become an alcoholic. I'll never be addicted to drugs. And now you find yourself in a place where it's hard because you can't just drink one because if you drink one, you drink two and three and four and you're popping pills. And you said, I would never do that. Or maybe you said, I will never put work before my family. But you're at work all the time. You're taking all the overtime. You're always gone from your family. You're missing events and activities. Or maybe you said, I would never let go of God. And then a storm hits. Circumstances come. You get angry. 
and you have blamed God. And maybe you sit here this morning on Sunday and you're like, I'm going to church. But you know in your heart you've let go of God. There's a part of your inner self that is not as close as it used to be. And you looked in the mirror and you said, I'd never do that, God. And now you find your world all jacked up. Maybe you said never to God just for a day or a week or a month or a year. Or maybe it's several years. Maybe today you walked in and you're like, I don't know. And I want to give you some good news. And the good news is this. It's our big idea this, for this morning. That God never lets go even when we do. God never lets go even when we break our never. God never lets go even when we do. Each of us, regardless of who we are, we have let go of God. We have walked away from God. There has been some point in our life, maybe it was a day, a month, a week, a year, years, we've all done it. Remember our key scripture for this whole series, Romans 3.23. Let's read it again out loud together. For all have sinned, all fall short of God's glorious standard. What's the word again that is used more than any other word? All. It means all of us. Every time you look in the mirror, it includes you. And part of the reason that we let go or we walk away is because our lives get jacked up and we break our never. Now the good news is that we're not the first people to ever experience this before. In fact, throughout all of Scripture, there are multiple people who had broken their nevers. And there's one person in particular who Jesus was closest to, the person he was closest to, the person who started the church, the person who was his right-hand man, a guy by the name of Peter, had a hard time of keeping his never. And he walked away from Jesus. Even though he looked in the mirror and he said, I never will, he walked away in Jesus' darkest hour. Now let me give you just a little bit of background about Peter. Uh, Peter was a fisherman. How many are fishermen here? Okay? All right? There's several. Some of you are looking forward to it. And, uh, but Peter was a rough and tough fisherman. Not like some of you, Okay? Some of you don't like to put worms on things. I know how that is, okay? And he was tough. He was rough. He was the kind of guy that just didn't take any crap whatsoever. He's just a tough, tough guy. And one day, he's minding his own business, and he's picking up these nets, and he's throwing them into the sea. We know he was really poor because he didn't have a boat. You ever try to catch fish with a net? It's not easy. So they're picking up these nets and he's throwing them out. And all of a sudden there's this guy that starts walking along the shore. And he says, hey, 
Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men and women. He's like, Peter, you're catching six inches. I'm going to help you to catch six footers. And Peter, by all accounts, was not a good candidate to be the right-hand man of the Messiah. He was not the right candidate to usher in the kingdom of God. He had no social prominence. He had no religious training. He had no religious devotion. He was just an ordinary, smelly fisherman. And that's one of the things I love about Jesus. That's one of the reasons why I've given my whole life to trying to share his message. is because this is what Jesus does. He takes ordinary people who are all jacked up, who might have a smell connected to them, a fish. And he does extraordinary things with them. He doesn't mind if you are a little jacked up. He's like, actually, I like people like that. Got a little spunk to them. They don't just sit on the sidelines. Maybe they made a whole lot of mistakes, and if I could get them turned around, they could change the world. If you followed him and you trust him. Well, Peter responds to Jesus' call. He drops his nets. And this is why you have to realize, folks, that's all he had. (laughs) Just nets. He had to drop something to follow Jesus. And so he drops everything that he knew so that he could follow the one. And then he hung out with him for three years. Think about that. And he learns how to teach. He learns how to pray. He learns how to heal people. The first time that Peter healed anyone, if you read it, it's the exact same thing that Jesus did. Can you imagine? You're like, I don't know if this is going to work, but Jesus did it. He told me I could do it. And all of a sudden, someone gets healed. And Peter learns how to love. Peter becomes Jesus' right-hand man. He is so loyal to Jesus. And I was trying to think of a picture of a person who would be the most loyal figure that you could think of in our culture over the past 20 years or so. And this is the picture I came up with. William Wallace. You remember the story of Braveheart? He was like loyal at all costs. My wife hates to watch any movies. She loves this movie. She's like, that's what I want. Why don't you become that, Chris? You know? (laughs) And it's like this man is, is loyal. And Peter is loyal. He's willing to do anything. Let me show you about Peter's loyalty. One day, Jesus has just taught. He's exhausted. He's tired. He just fed 5,000 people with just a little bit of bread and a little bit of fish. He feeds them all. And he's exhausted. He's worn out. He says, hey, guys, I'm going up to the mountain to pray to the Father, and I'm going to get refreshed. You guys get in the boat and go to the other side of the sea. And so all the disciples, they pile into the boat. They're taking off. And while they're out there, all of a sudden a storm comes up. Now, again, Peter is William Wallace. 
He's been in storms before. He's a tough guy. He's not afraid of stuff. But this storm, whatever it was, was so scary, they start freaking out. And if the storm wasn't freaking them out enough, pretty soon they notice that there is this figure that is walking out on the water, and they think it's a ghost. And they look, and they're like, ah. And this voice cries out, do not be afraid. (laughs) Now, let me just tell you, if you see a ghost, and even if the ghost says, do not be afraid, is that going to make you feel less afraid? No. And they they look, and they notice, so they look a little bit closer, and they're like, that's not a ghost. It's Jesus. Now, did Jesus say that don't be afraid because the storm wasn't really bad? No, the storm was really bad. We got storms in our life that are really bad, right? But he says, don't be afraid. It's me. He says, guys, it's me. You know me. You know my character. You know my competence. You can safely place your destiny in my hands. Question, when you're afraid and you fear something and you look in the mirror, do you stay stuck in your fear? Or do you remember the one who said, don't be afraid? Well, Peter says, all right, Jesus, I trust you. Just give me the command. Folks, that's a follower of God, isn't it? Jesus, whatever you say, just say the word, whatever the word is. I don't care what it is. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. So Jesus says, okay, Peter, get out of the boat. Come on. Now, you have to picture this, folks. There's this big storm. It's 3 a.m. in the morning. If it's 3 a.m. in the morning and there's a big storm, there's no light. And now you've seen this ghost-like person that you think is Jesus, but you're not really sure and you're freaking out a little bit about that. And everyone's exhausted and everyone's tired. But then, all of a sudden, Peter goes like this. And then all the disciples are like, Peter, quit being an idiot. Put your foot back in the boat, dude. He's like... And he's looking at Jesus. And all of a sudden, he takes one step. This is cool. Then he takes another step. And he keeps taking steps. And it's like for the first time in his life, nothing else matters. And he's just focusing on Jesus alone. And everything is great. The first time in the history of the world, folks, that a fallible human being who was all jacked up is now a water walker. And he's walking. But this is what the scripture says. Somehow in the midst of it, as he's walking, he's looking at Jesus and everything's great. But then he looks around. He's like, these waves are big. Like these waves are really big. And the wind's here. And what am I doing? I'm on water. 
And he takes his eyes off of Jesus and he looks at his circumstances around him and he immediately begins to sink. Folks, every time you take your eyes off Jesus, I don't care how spiritual you think you are, every time you take your eyes off the one who knows you best and who loves you most, every time you take your eyes off of him, your life gets jacked up and you begin to sink. Now, the question really becomes, was Peter a failure? Do you think Peter failed? Well, yeah, in a sense, right? (laughs) I mean, he didn't get all the way to Jesus. He just took a couple steps and then he went straight down. He sank. His faith wasn't strong enough. But here's what I think. I think that as Peter is out in the water, there are 11 other people still in the boat that are much bigger failures. You know why? Because they were afraid to trust the one who could make them a water walker. That's what I think. Because they never said, God, you command me to do whatever and I'll do it. Well, that's who Peter was. When Jesus asked him to do anything, Jesus went, uh, Peter just went for it. In fact, Jesus gave him a nickname. He said, Peter, I'm going to call you the rock. I was going to put a picture of the rock up here, but I knew some of you women would be distracted at that point, okay? And he said, I'm going to build my church upon the rock. In other words, he says, I'm going to build it on you because you're strong. You're my right-hand man. And Peter stayed close to Jesus for three years. He was the vice president. He was second in command. And he never left Jesus' side. In fact, look at how adamant Peter is about saying, I'll never leave you. It's the last supper. It's the last meal that they have together. Before Jesus goes to a cross and he's slaughtered like a sheep. And after they eat everything, Jesus gives a prediction and Peter responds. In Mark chapter 14, verse 27, it says this. Jesus said to his disciples, all of you will reject me as the scriptures say. I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. In other words, Jesus is predicting that everyone's going to bail on him. Everyone, including Peter, the rock is going to bail. The water walker is going to well. Verse 28, but after I am raised to life, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Peter spoke up. Even if all the others reject you, I, what's the next word? Never. I never will. So Jesus replied, this very night before a rooster crows twice, you will say three times that you don't know me. Peter, you're going to break your never tonight, buddy. You're going to break your never. You're going to bail. You're going to be just like all the rest. Verse 31. But Peter was so sure of himself that he said, even if I have to die with you, I will, what's the word? I will never say that I don't know you. Here's Peter's ego getting the best of it. He's adamant about it. His never, he's saying, my never is stronger than anybody else. 
His never will not wilt under pressure. His head must have been spinning, thinking to himself, I'm more trustworthy than all the rest of them. Remember the other 11? They stayed in the boat, Jesus. They weren't going to walk after you, but I would never do that. You tell me what to do and I'll do it. So how do you think Peter did on keeping his promise? How do you think he was on not breaking his neck? Well, this uh, altercation takes place. They go off to a garden and they pray. Peter's in the inner circle with two other guys named James and John, also fishermen. Jesus says, hey guys, can you stay up just a little bit because it's a very dark hour for me. And he's just asking them to stay up a little bit later. And they all fall asleep. They fall asleep so much that they don't even hear the soldiers come in. And eventually the soldiers come in. They take Jesus and they take him away to trial. And the pressure is ratcheted up on Peter. Because he just said, I'll never leave with you. I'll even die with you. And then something happens. This little girl. This little girl recognizes Peter. And she doesn't keep her mouth shut. You know how little girls are? Sometimes they just don't keep their mouth shut. They just talk, 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 talk. She's just in there and then all of a sudden this girl sees Peter. And in verse 66 it says this. While all this was going on. So here's what's happening, folks. There's this big trial that's taking place upstairs with all the religious leaders in a time where trials don't take place. And not everyone's there. Everything was illegal according to the law of taking Jesus to trial. All these things are happening up here. And below is this courtyard. And Jesus is up there by himself. But Peter's the closest one, and he's in the courtyard underneath. Jesus is up there, and he's been punched in the face. He's been hit. He's been spit upon. No one's to defend him. Peter was down in the courtyard. And what's Peter doing? The Scripture says he's cold, so he's warming himself up by the fire. One of the chief priest's servant girls came in and seen Peter warming himself there. You know what I find what's so ironic is that Jesus is on fire upstairs. And Peter's thinking about warming himself by the fire. He's under fire. And Peter's thinking about warming himself. Looking hard at him, the servant girl says... You were with the Nazarene Jesus, verse 68. But Peter said that he was, what's the word? Peter said he was what? It's not there. That's not good. Thank you. Never. He was never there. You've got to go to one of them. You've got Galilean written all over your face, Peter eventually says. Now, let me go back to that for just a second. 
Just bring it back. So he says he denied it. He said, I never, I don't know what you're talking about. He went out onto a porch and a rooster crowed. You know anything about roosters? They wake people up. This is a warning call. This is a warning to say, hey, you denied once. You don't have to do it again. You don't have to do this again. Have you ever received a warning before? Maybe you're in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong person. You get a warning sign. Maybe it's a drink that you take and you could stop at one, but you choose not to and you just keep going. But you had the warning sign. The bartender either said, you want another one? Or maybe you receive a text from a friend. Or you, the caller ID of your spouse comes up on your phone and you know what you're doing. And you have this warning sign. Or a scripture comes to mind. Or something's on TV. You hear the warning sign. You look into the mirror. You hear it. But do you heed the warning? Can you stop the denial? Now, switch the screen. Verse 69. The girl spotted Peter and began telling the people standing around. He's one of them. He denied it again. After a little while, the bystanders brought it up again. You've got to be one of them. You've got Galilean written all over your face. Now, Peter got really nervous and swore, I, what's the word? I never laid eyes on this man you're talking about. Here, Peter breaks his promise. He breaks his never. He calls down curses upon himself. He denies Jesus under oath. But he's lying because he does know him. Verse 72. Just then the rooster crowed a second time. Peter remembered how Jesus had said, Before a rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. And Peter what? Collapsed. Folks, when you break your never, have you ever broken and been collapsed to tears? When you break your never, do you collapse? Maybe you lied. Maybe you cheated. Maybe you went out and you got trashed. You broke your never and you collapsed in tears. Maybe some of you have never collapsed in tears. Because you've never gotten to the point of looking in the mirror and going, I broke my never. Now the question is this, folks. When you hit the lowest of low, when you've broken your never, when you have broken your promise, and all your life is kind of jacked up, what do you do? Well, my suggestion to you, and the suggestion of all Scripture, I think is this. Tell the truth to yourself. When my life is jacked up, what is the most important thing that I can do? Tell the truth to yourself. Now, you might be sitting there going, no, I should tell the truth to God. Guess what, folks? God already knows the truth. You don't need to tell him. You need to tell yourself. 
Because we are experts. I'm just telling you. We are experts at deceiving ourselves. Several years ago, I went to Marsh to get some groceries. This was BK, before kids, you know. So that meant I could go in there real fast, get what I need and come out. And I pull up into Marsh Supermarket. I get out of my car and I hear this loud noise on the other side of the parking lot. And I watch this man grabbing his three or four-year-old son and he's dragging him. And I'm thinking, that's why I don't have kids, you know. And he's dragging him, and and I'm thinking, well, you know, he probably acted up. He's just a little bit overwhelmed. And I see him open up the car door, and he grabs him kind of strongly, and he puts him in the car seat, and he starts slapping him right on the leg. And I look at that, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, ah, don't do that. Don't do that. And then he starts slapping him in the face. And my heart just starts breaking at that point. I'm like, oh, no, I've got to do something. Got to do something. I mean, I know what the scripture says about defending the defenseless. So I start walking towards the man. He looks at me. I look at him and then I start running toward the car. He jumps in the car real quick. He floors it. He goes and he spins out away from the supermarket. And I rush into the supermarket and I go, hey, somebody needs to call the cops. They're like, we saw it too. We're already calling them. And so I go, I get my card. I do all my grocery shopping. I get back into the car. And I start driving. And while I'm driving, the Spirit of God brings back to me that horrible scene. That I just saw. In the Spirit of God, I wrote it down because I'll never forget this. said, think this one over, Chris. Why didn't you, when you first saw the first slap, why didn't you run over to that boy? Why didn't you go and defend him? When he got slapped in the face. Now my first answer was, well, I was exercising careful judgment. I was trying to figure out what the situation was uh, before I intervened. I mean, I didn't want to tell the dad how he should be disciplining his son. But the Spirit didn't let me settle with what my excuse was. And said, no, Chris, you tell the truth. You tell the truth. Why didn't you go and defend that little boy? The first slap. And sitting alone in my car driving, I'm weeping just like I am today. And I had to admit, that I was more worried about maybe getting punched in the nose than I was of defending that little boy. I had to admit that in some situations, Chris, you're really bold and you take action. 
But in some places, you're just a coward. You're a coward. And tears coming down my eyes, I walk into my house and there's my wife and I tell her the story of what a coward husband she has. You see, folks, this is what's true about me. If I have to get into an altercation, if I get punched in the nose, I'm just a little bit slow on the draw, even if it means someone's getting hurt. Now, some of you right now are kind of thinking to yourself, Chris, lighten up, dude. (laughs) Just lighten up. I mean, I bet all these things happen within seconds, and they did. Just seconds. And, you know... You don't know what's going on. You've got to think about, you know, you're married and, and all that kind of stuff. You couldn't have probably done anything anyways. You, you ran as hard as you could. When you got there, you know, they would have been gone anyway. Well, here's what I have to tell you. When it comes to telling the truth about myself... When it comes to telling the truth about the inner peace of me, I cannot afford to lighten up. I've learned over the years that if I tolerate the first deception in my inner person, if I ever fail to tell the truth and nothing but the truth, my soul becomes in a very dangerous position. I've learned over the years that if I allow myself to tell the first lie, it's much easier to tell the second lie and the third lie, and pretty soon I'm just lying all over the place. I'm in all kinds of denial, and my life gets really jacked up. What I've learned over the years is that I have to draw the line, folks, at the very first lie. I have to draw the line at the very first first lie. If I ever cross it, I'm in trouble because that is how deceitful deceit can be. A scripture that I hope many of you will memorize this week comes from Psalm 15:2. Let's read it out loud together. It says, speak the truth in your heart. Let's say it again. Speak the truth In your heart. So my question for you is, are you speaking the truth to yourself? Are you willing to strengthen strengthening your truth-telling skills? Are you willing to say, I'm going to speak the truth in my inner world no matter what. I'm going to speak the truth no matter how ugly it is. I'm going to speak the truth no matter how jacked up it is. No matter what it reveals about myself, I'm going to speak the truth to myself. You know, it's been my experience that a lot of people walk around and they speak the truth in some areas of their life, but not all areas of their life. And that sometimes there is one I would never that you have never forgiven yourself for. You look in the mirror and you go, there's that one thing in my life that I've never forgiven myself for. And it's like this cloud over your head of guilt that just stays there. For Peter, it was denying Jesus three times in a courtyard, even though he said, I would never walk away. I would never let go. 
I would never reject Jesus. Today, I'm asking you, what is your never? What is the one thing that you have never forgiven yourself for? I have a feeling that many of you are carrying one thing today that you've never forgiven yourself. And I just want to try to dispel the cloud of guilt that Satan wants to give to you by giving you some encouragement today. What is that one thing, that one thing that you would say, when I look in the mirror and I said I would never, and I did it, I've just never forgiven myself for that. And I want to just give you some truth that will give you power to do that. Anyone want to get free today? Now, if you would, I'd like you to pull out the mirror that you had when you first walked in today. It was on your seat. And everybody should get one. Even if you're a guy and you're like, I'm not getting a girl mirror, get over it, okay? Just get the mirror. And what I'd like you to do right now is I'd like you to look at that mirror and the person that is inside the mirror that you're holding is jacked up. The person inside the mirror that you're holding right now is jacked up. And the person in your mirror needs to tell the truth to themselves. And whatever that one thing is that you think is unforgivable, you've looked at it so many times before and you just you can't even look in the mirror because you think you're already condemned. You need today to admit it to yourself and to other people. Now shut the mirror. Now let me speak some truth into your life, what you just saw and what I told you in the mirror. For whatever that one thing is that you think is unforgivable, God says this in Jeremiah 31, 34. He says, I will forgive their evil ways and remember their sins no more. Friends, I don't know if you know this or not, but we believe in a God who has amnesia. Did you realize that? God has amnesia when it comes to your sin. Whatever that one sin is in your life that has jacked you up and you think is unforgivable, when you say you're sorry to God, when you repent, when you ask for forgiveness, because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, you are forgiven. He has amnesia for your sin. So today I want to say this, if God has already forgotten because you've asked for forgiveness for this one thing many times before, why do you keep remembering it? I mean, if God says it's gone, then let it go. Now, for some of you, that's not enough. You're like, that's not enough. I need another scripture. Okay. Psalm 103.12 says this, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far sin gets removed. Anybody here want to guess how far it is from the east to the west? Don't raise your hand because you're stupid, okay, if you do that. Nobody knows. It's infinite. That's how much God forgives you. Now, some of you are still like, no, no, no. Two verses aren't enough because I've carried this thing a long time. I've looked in the mirror. I know he's never going to forgive me for this one thing. My favorite verse when it comes to this, Micah 7, 19. God will throw all of your sins into the depths of the ocean. Spring break, my wife and I went to Florida with our kids. One night, we didn't have our kids. Hallelujah. 
We walk out onto a pier holding hands. We're in love with each other. We walk out to the end of it. And I look out into the Atlantic Ocean and I think to myself, this amazing thought, that's a lot of water. And then I have this thought. There is places in the ocean, folks, that are so deep that no human being has ever been before. And that's where God puts your sin. And if he's put it there, why do you keep drudging it back up? It's gone. It's covered. It's forgotten. Let it go. God doesn't let go of you even when you let go of him. Several days after the resurrection, as Peter is still feeling guilty about denying Jesus three times and walking away from him, Peter has this great idea. He's like, man, fishing makes me calm. So I'm going out fishing. The other disciples come. They fish all night long. They catch nothing. Pretty soon they see this guy up on the shore. They look at him. He says, hey, guys, throw your nets on the right side, the other side, and you'll catch some fish. And they're like, okay, whatever, we'll try anything. They do it. And fish galore are on that. And Peter looks up, and he's like, guys, do you get it? And they're like, yeah. And they all knew it's the Lord. And Peter jumps into the, uh, into the sea, and he swims over to Jesus. Everybody else took the boat. They got there a lot faster than Peter did, okay? That's how loyal Peter is. He swims all the way there. Jesus is there. He's making them breakfast. It's like, hey guys, bring some of your fish too. Let's make some breakfast. And even though Peter had let go of Jesus, he had broke his never. Jesus says, come and have breakfast. And if that wasn't enough, he pulls Peter aside and he says three times, Peter, how much do you love me? And three times where Peter had denied him and he had broke his never, three times he gets to tell the Savior of the world, I love you. I love you. I love you. I'm sorry. And, and Jesus pauses and says, I don't need your sorry. You're forgiven. You're loved. And the story ends. And Jesus ascends into heaven, one of the other texts says. And before he leaves, he says these words, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And God today, he looks at you wherever you are. And he says, whatever that unforgivable sin that you think is, I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. I will never let you go. Today we're celebrating communion. It's a time in which we remember what Jesus did on the cross for us. And for some of you, This will be an opportunity for you to really say for the first time in your life, God, I I broke a lot of my nevers, but today, God, I want to give my one and only life to you. 
And when you go to take that bread and that cup and you dip it into the juice, that you're reminded that you are forgiven, you are loved, that even when you let go of God, He never lets go of you. God never lets go, even when you do. So there are these tables that are around here, and whenever you feel led, you can go. But this is what I'd like you to do just for the next couple minutes. I'd like you to think of your greatest never that you broke. And maybe you still have a hard time forgiving yourself for that. And I'd like you to take that to God today and say, God, take this away from me. I was wrong. I know I was wrong. But I keep beating myself up over and over and over again. And God, even though I broke my never, I know you will never let me go. So we're going to turn the lights down and give you a moment to be with God, to confess any sin that you have one or any of them. And then we'll close corporately in a prayer. And then you can go to any of the tables, take the bread and the cup, come back to your seat, and we'll close with reminding ourselves that God never lets go, even when we do. Let's spend some time right now just saying what we're sorry for, asking for his forgiveness from that greatest never that we broke. If you would, I'd like you to just repeat this prayer after me. Loving God, thank you for never letting go of me. Thank you for never leaving me. Thank you for never abandoning me. I know you died and rose again so I could live with you. I have confessed my sins to you. Thank you for forgiving me. Fill me with your spirit so I could know you, serve you, and follow you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. I give it to you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Tables are open for you. Receive your forgiveness.
guys make your way back to your seats. You can stand with us and sing this song. Shiva, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, your fervent love is casting out fear. Even when I'm caught in the middle of the storms of this life, I won't turn back, I know you are near, and I will fear no evil, for my God is with me, and my God is with me, whom shall I That is coming for the heart that owns all. A glorious life beyond all compare. If there will be an end to the troubles, but until that day comes, we'll live to know you here on the earth. And I will fear no evil. For my God is with
if you would, we're going to pull the lights up just one last second. All you men can get your uh, manliness back. I'd like you to look in this mirror one last time. And this is what I want you to know. The person in that mirror is totally forgiven today. And God says, absolutely, that's something to be grateful for. And what God says is I will never let go. And this is what my suggestion would be. Put this mirror somewhere. When your life gets jacked up at some point, because it will, that you pull it out and you remind yourself that he loves me, he's for me, he never leaves me. Know that you're loved in this place. Have a great week, everybody. Woo!